Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of season 3 of the Wormbrenner Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and for this week, we will be going over the Copa Libertadores and the history behind the competition, as well as a little bit of MLS news and a little talk about the Women's World Cup, and then seeing if any other news pops up, at least in the meantime, with the Wormbrenner News section, we'll round up the end of this episode. If you have not already, go ahead and check out our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Wormbrenner Podcast. If you have not checked out our Twitter, it is at Wormbrenner PDCST. Again, that is Wormbrenner PDCST. I look to do a Twitter space every single Friday. If you would be interested in something like that, be sure and tune in to, to that episode. What I do on those Twitter spaces is I play football manager play the game i i pretty much commentate what i'm doing and the overall save itself so i'll be doing the pentagon challenge when it comes to the save having to do with that and for those of you that don't know what the pentagon challenge is it's a challenge in football manager the game where you have to win all five continental competitions from every single continent so it's asia Europe, North America, South America, and Africa. So it's a very hard challenge. And if you are interested in something like that, be sure and tune into that. And if you have not checked out our website, it is the dash wormburner dash podcast dot captivate dot fm. Again, that is the dash wormburner dash podcast dot captivate dot fm. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. All right, everyone. So looking at the overall history of the Copa Libertadores, the competition first started in 1960, making it 63 years old this year. And it's gone through a few changes. And honestly, looking at the facts and the overall situation with the Copa Libertadores, I was really surprised at a couple things, two facts in particular, and we'll be getting into those a little bit later, but uh, the number of teams that compete in this competition is a grand total of 47 teams. Uh, the majority of them do come in with the group stage of the competition, but there are some preliminary first round, second round, and third round to be able to get into the group stage uh, of the competition, much like the Champions League, the UEFA Champions League, and other competitions like, for an example, uh, the African Champions League and the Asian Champions League as well. So much like those formats, there are like qualifying preliminary rounds beforehand, and then you get to the group stage, which the group stage has 32 teams. And much like the other competitions that we've already gone over, uh, the top two teams in each group qualify for the next round of the competition. So the next round uh, has a grand total of 16 teams, and then they play two legs from then on out until the final. Now, going over the actual history of the competition, uh, it was very interesting between 1960 and 1987. I, I wanted to point this out because I, I don't think, and please correct me in the comments if I'm wrong uh, on this episode, either on Twitter or on Facebook, but... I've never seen a continental competition do this, and 
in particular, uh, much like the Europe and African and Asian Champions League when it gets to the later stages, you have two legs. But on top of having the final being two legs, between 1960 and 1987, if the first and second leg on aggregate created a draw at the end of the, the two legs, there would be a third game played. I've never seen a continental competition do this, at least in the time that I've studied soccer, football in particular. I just found this absolutely fascinating. And so, again, between 1960 and 1987, if a two-legged game was ended in a draw on aggregate, they would play a third game, which was just insanity to me. I, I found this so fascinating. And there were multiple finals in which uh, both both the first and second leg ended in a draw, or collectively on aggregate, sorry, uh, ended in a draw. And would result in a third game. And I just, it was, it was so fascinating to me. But continuing on, the overall Copa Libertadores winners themselves, it comes to my second fact that was just absolutely fascinating to learn about this competition is that no team in the top three comes from the country of Brazil. Even though Brazil is a powerhouse in South America, you don't have a single team with the top three most Copa Libertadores titles in the continent's history, which is just absolutely bonkers to me. But going up to the top five of the winners of the Copa Libertadores, the first and top team with the most Copa Libertadores Libertadores finals titles per se is Independiente from Argentina with seven under their belt. The first one coming in 1964, the latest one coming in 1984. In second place with six titles under their belt is Boca Juniors with the first one coming in 1977 and the latest one coming in 2007. In a shock position, number three is Peneral from Uruguay with five titles under their belt. The first one coming in 1960, the very first competition of the Copa Libertadores. And then in the last, the latest year that they've won it was 1987. Tied in fourth place with the most Copa Libertadores titles is River Plate from Argentina with four their first one coming in 1986 and their latest one in 2018. And in that second tying position for fourth place with four titles under their belt is Estudiantes with, again, four under their belt. The first one coming in 1968 and the latest one coming in 2009. And in fifth place, when it comes to the overall Copa Libertadores winners, it, you have <laughs> a ton of teams tied for that position with three titles under their belt. So I will very quickly go over them because I, I, I'll be honest, it's a lot, but we'll see. Let, let's go ahead and go, let's go over this, ladies and gentlemen. The first one uh, being Olympia from Paraguay with three titles. The first one coming in 1979 and the latest one in 2002. The next team is Nacional 
from Uruguay with three titles under their belt. The first one in, in 1971 and the latest one in 1988. In the next position, we have São Paulo from Brazil with their first one in 1992 and the latest one in 2005. The next one is Palmeiras from Brazil with the first one in with their first one in 1999 and the latest one in 2021. The next one is Santos from again Brazil with three under their belt. The first one in 1962 and the latest one in 2011. The next one is Gremio with again three. 1983, their first with the latest one in 2017. And the final team with three titles under their belt is Flamengo with their first one in 1981 and the latest one in 2022. That rounds up the top five when it comes to to the Copa Libertadores. And overall, that is a complete breakdown of the history. I know that it was rather short. When it comes to the overall matchup and the whole breakdown of this competition, but um, it's as simple as that. The competition really hasn't changed as much when it comes to the overall system itself. Um, the amount of teams that have been competing in the in the Copa Libertadores, however, has changed. So, uh, other than the whole format of again the third match being played whenever the aggregate score was tied. It was kind of the only change as of recently, uh, other than the final being one leg. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it, that's the current format now. But when it comes to the Copa Libertadores, it is, in my opinion, the textbook definition of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> and they really haven't fixed anything or, or had to fix anything when it comes to the competition's history. And so, yeah, that's the breakdown of the Copa Libertadores, and we'll go ahead and get into the Worm Burner News section. All right, so for the Worm Burner News section this week, I wanted to just expand on a little bit of what I talked about for the Twitter space that I had this past week and just go over the overall thoughts and the interesting positions that we could be looking at for the MLS and then just basically seeing uh, from there, I know there's been a lot that's been going on this past week, uh, so we'll be taking it from there. Kind of like freehand thought uh, opinions when it comes to this version of the Wormbird News section. So the, for the first one, uh, I wanted to talk about the Women's World Cup. Uh, it is over for the United States specifically, uh, which is a bit of a bummer, but honestly, looking at the statistics and the overall facts when it comes to the Women's World Cup. Honestly, it's really not that surprising. And I know that it sounds shocking, really, to say the least. I know for a fact that when it came to the reigning champions, that they were expected to go far. And here we are. With the U.S. already out of the Women's World Cup going into the round of eight and the quarterfinals. And it's just absolute insanity, really. I Looking at the overall group stage, it was the worst performance in U.S. Women's World Cup history in the group stage, finishing second with only five points, if I'm not mistaken, because they only got a a win against Vietnam and they drew uh, 
Portugal, and the Netherlands. So we're looking at the overall worst results, not only in the group stage, but we're also talking about the worst performance uh, in terms of finishing in a Women's World Cup. Before this, every single Women's World Cup, the U.S. Women's National Team made the top three. And this year, they didn't even make it out of the round of 16. And that is absolutely horrifying, to, th- to say the least. When it comes to Carly Lloyd specifically, I think she highlighted it rather well. It seemed like the players were honestly not even paying attention or, or didn't even seem affected at all with the way that they were even being dominated in some cases. And in in Portugal's instance, they were literally, I would say, a few minutes away from finishing the game drawn, and they let one chance through that if it was a half of a foot to the left, it would have gone off the post and into the back of the net, completely knocking the U.S. out of the World Cup in the group stage. And afterwards, Carly Lloyd, of course, saying, of course, they they love to see the fans. They, they want them to show support to the fans, the ones that came out to, to see the World Cup to support them, but... They were dancing, they were smiling, they were laughing, and honestly, I completely agree with Carly Lloyd. The overall mentality when it came to that was just not good at all. And when it came to our star players, they just were not performing to the level that they needed to. There was very little chances that that were converted. And I think overall, uh, when it came to the head coaching stats, we only scored four goals all tournament. And for me, that was just insane. That was absolutely insane to me. So the whole fact of, yeah, so now that I'm thinking about it, we scored three against Vietnam. We scored one against the Netherlands. We didn't score any against Portugal, and we didn't score any against Sweden. So I, it's just it's absolute insanity that the women's team played as horrible as they did. And it, it seems to me, at least from the overall perspective of a per, an outside person looking in, it seems like the U.S. women's national team is basically not getting any repercussions at all. They're, they're basically saying that they played well, that they, that, they did their best, and from a United States, from an American perspective, from a U.S. women's and men's supporter perspective, I, I, I'll be the first one to say it. This is absolutely unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable result from our women's side. We should be at the top. We should be at the final every single women's world cup at least in my opinion or or maybe at least performing into the semifinal at least especially in a transition year or something like that i can't be expecting the very best every single time i mean of course we should be up there though that a round of 16 exit is absolutely inexcusable in my opinion and Overall, I think this is a wake-up call that the U.S. women needed. 
in my opinion, because overall we just haven't had the mentality. We have not had the the small details, and that's what Carly Lloyd was was talking about. That we did not have the small details when it came to the overall mentality and perspective going into this Women's World Cup. In in my opinion, and going and branching off a little bit of Carly Lloyd's perspective, it, it just was not there at all. And you look at the you actually look at the results of this World Cup, and this is not this is not the women's U.S. team that we need, and they just did not perform. Now, thankfully, we have a ton of young talent. We had 14 women in this Women's World Cup. That This was their very first World Cup performance ever. This was their debut. I'm very hopeful, and I'm I am in a way very glad that we are able to bring in so many good, or youthful, and potential great players for the U.S. Women's National Team. That part I'm not scared of. Now the part that I am scared of, and the part that I didn't completely agree with, was that we brought on all of those, and there wasn't the experience to counterbalance that. And when you have 14 new, brand new players that have never been a World Cup, never been any World Cup, I should say, and the nerves are going to get you, the, the overall situation and the atmosphere is going to get you. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason why the U.S. lost, but there are factors like that to take into consideration, especially with that large amount of women that have never been to a, a, a Women's World Cup and it's just uh it's different it you can't just take that kind of a perspective and just discard it you have to take that into account and it, it was just overall i was extremely i was extremely disappointed by the performance that the u.s women's national team had in the women's world cup i uh, i that's my my opinion i definitely think we should have done better and there was a comment that it, that was made on one of the discussions that I had opened up after the women got knocked out, and there was a, a very interesting point of view, and and I wanted to at least highlight it here in this episode. I I'm sorry I didn't get the tag when it came to this, and I, I'll definitely make sure to put them into the comments, hopefully in the when I when I actually release this episode. But overall. But the point of view that he had was that the women uh, for the U.S. women's national team have not progressed. And in that not progressing, the U.S. women's team has had the other nations, the other women's team, national teams, catch up to them. And so overall, just from that, I, I feel like that's a major, a major situation and a major contributing factor to why the women didn't do so well because we're talking about women's national teams that are that are catching up to the women the u.s women's and we are in a transition year yes absolutely that is something that i definitely agree with and that's something that we have to take into stride but overall this was just a horrible performance the u.s women's national team needed to perform better and they didn't and now we're talking about making a transition year when the rest of the national teams around the world are doing better. They are getting better. This, this, they are not becoming, I, I, I don't want to phrase it this way, but they're not being push pushovers. 
this is going to be a competition now. And now that the U.S. Women's National Team didn't take the – again, this is my opinion. Just because the U.S. Women's National Team didn't take this World Cup seriously, we are going to be at the, – the gap between the next best women's national team to the U.S. women is much smaller than it should be in my opinion. The U.S. women's national team should be the pinnacle of women's soccer. And we have put that under threat because of this Women's World Cup. And it's just an overall bad scenario. And I'm I'm not ready for the consequences, honestly. Because the consequences could be very dire when it comes to the U.S. women's national team. And so overall, we'll take it as we go and just keep going that's all we really can do i i am uh, i'm grateful that the u.s women were able to play and they were able to represent their country but uh, just an overall disappointing performance from from my point of view as as a fan of the u.s women's and men's national team i expect better and so that's my opinion when it comes to the u.s women's national team now to head to the mls there's been a lot of a lot going on when it comes to the overall situation with Messi with Messi league soccer <laughs> and uh, I think overall the situation is rather good in my opinion that the situation with Messi is here in the MLS or going to be in the MLS he's been performing in the league leagues cup and so Really, he hasn't had an MLS debut as of yet. So, but overall, the reception has been absolutely crazy since the start of his time here in, or well, there in Inter Miami here in Florida. And I, I'm just very happy with it. Now, overall, getting Orlando knocked out of the League's Cup, not the happiest. <laughs> I will say, and I will definitely criticize the refereeing when it comes to that night. But overall, honestly, kind of over that night, honestly, over just the the overall just situation there in general. But I think it's been a positive overall, and we are already seeing the changes when it comes to the MLS. There's reports being said online that the US or that the MLS is going to be changing its rules as of recently and so we could be adding a a fourth DP slot for each US team and the cap is going to raise drastically over the next year it's apparently i think it's in the range of 3.5 to 4 million right now currently as we speak but next year they're talking about a huge jump to seven million dollars and so I, I honestly both of those i feel that they are a massive improvement towards u.s soccer and towards the overall development of the sport here in the united states completely agree with this rule change completely agree with this rule change and i definitely feel that the overall situation in itself we will be seeing more stars coming to the u.s and there are rumors and reports that neymar could be looking at it 
I don't think it's going to happen, though, because I feel like the Premier League would be a much more suitable move for him, especially with a couple more years in his prime. But, however, it's interesting to say the least that with the deal that the MLS has made with Messi, it wouldn't be as good of a deal for Neymar. But in a way, the world is kind of taking into account like, okay, the U.S. actually has some pulling power here. And in, at least in my opinion, we are putting, we are getting put into that same bracket as, as, uh, as well as the Saudi Pro League because, of course, the Saudi Pro League has a ridiculous amount of money to spend. But it seems like overall the MLS is making good strides when it comes to their investment policies, their investment overall towards the teams, and allowing for a potential fourth DP slot for teams, as well as a huge increase in the in the transfer budget, not transfer budget, I'm sorry, in the salary cap, which is definitely a plus. I think that overall, just in general, this is a really good move for the MLS, in my opinion, because the less that we have on those kinds of restrictions, it, it again, based off my opinion, the less restrictions that we have when it comes to the league, when it comes to the overall situation with the league, the better the, the league is going to get, in my opinion, because overall we could be looking at a huge surge here in the U.S. And I'm, <laughs> you have no idea how ready I am for this, because we could be looking at some severe contenders and some severe players coming over to the U.S. both in their later prime years, even though I wouldn't necessarily like it to be viewed as a retirement league. I, I hate that stigma, but overall we could be looking at an increase when it comes to the youth specifically and having younger talent from South America and other areas of the world that we could be used as a, as a development league. Essentially, it wouldn't be the very best, even though I, I would love for the U S to be the best league in the world. It's it's, <laughs> it is very far from that, but I feel like that with strides, we can definitely push towards making the U S a top league in the world and maybe not top five anytime soon, but overall, I think you get the point that I'm trying to make, but I think this is a great situation for the U S for the overall team teams themselves. And I'm very much looking forward to this and the overall expansion of the league. And yeah, I, I know that this was a very U.S. filled Wormburner News section. And I, I, I apologize for that. But the leagues and the rest of the world is going to be kicking off here in the next couple of weeks. And I'm very excited for that to come back to light. Uh, we just had the Community Shield, I think, yesterday or the day before. Arsenal ended up winning it. And so we'll be looking at the rest of the world going into the later parts of the Warren Burner podcast season three. So be sure to stay tuned having to do with that. If you have not checked out our Twitter, it is at Warren Burner PDCST. That is Warren Burner PDCST on Twitter. I do do Twitter spaces pretty frequently or as, as frequently as I can. 
Normally, every single Friday is pretty dependent, and I have thought about making a secondary day when it comes to Twitter spaces, but I'll put that into a poll on Twitter. Be sure to catch that, as well as if you have not checked out our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Wormburner Podcast, and be sure to check out our website, the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. Again, that is the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. Thank you so much for making it, making it to the end of this episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A million times thank you. And it, it was a great time with this episode. Like I said, the amazing facts and the overall situation with the Copa Libertadores. And then just going over the overall situation with the U.S. Women's National Team and the MLS. It, it's a genuine joy to be able to keep up with all this. And uh, we'll be ramping up everything going on in Europe here in the coming future. And I, like I said, I'm very much, I'm very much looking forward to that. Stay safe, have fun, love soccer, and I'll see you guys next week. Ciao.